Hello everyone and welcome to another preview here on the Cycling Dane channel and this is of course not just a preview it's the 110th edition of the Tour de France the biggest thing in pro cycling in cycling one of the the big sporting events of the world but nevertheless uh, the person who's going to be discussing the various things of the race is none other than Miss Craig himself Ewan Wilson and Ewan I mean where to start first Tour de France I mean last year was such an incredible edition if you were Danish and you want to get a Vingol fan, but even for the neutral with the title of Gacha versus the Vingol, that yeah, I think it was just a brilliant addition last year. Exactly that. It is the Tour de France. The name speaks for itself, a name bigger than any cyclist or, or team out there. It's a worldwide event and one that paints the country of France yellow throughout the month of July. This, I mean, last year, what a Tour de France it was. So many compelling narratives uh, from that Tour de France that now live on in Tour de France Unchained, the Netflix series, uh, which have monumentalized what was a fabulous tour, the battle between Vingegaard and Pogacar throughout, and also the remarkable story of Wout van Aert and Jan Bivisma's dominance in last year's Tour de France. It's going to be a hard show to follow in 2023, but the two main actors, they'll be returning to the start line of La Grande Boucle. Yeah, we haven't even touched that. There's so many things we could touch on as well, but we're not going... It started in Denmark. That was incredible as well, but we're not going to be starting there this year. And uh, yeah, of course, we're going to be talking through the route, the favorites, the outsiders, the green jersey contenders, if there are any other than Wout. And uh, yeah, and then we're going to make a bit of a guess of what we think is going to happen. But nevertheless, Ewan, what is the 2023 route for the riders this year? The 2023 Tour de France will be beginning outside of French frontiers. We will be going to the Basque country instead in northern Spain, not too far away from France. And everything will open up in the sort of capital of the Basque country, Bilbao. Yes, the city known for its Guggenheim Museum will be this opening stage from Bilbao to Bilbao is a tough one. It's got 3,000 meters of elevation gain on what will be a very hectic and tense road stage to open this year's Tour de France. We have this sort of triple tooth teeth of climbs towards the end, with the toughest probably being the Côte de Piquet, which offers bonus second sprints on top after a two-kilometer ascent at an average of 10%. After that, well, that comes at 10 kilometers to go. We then have a sort of flat section along the riverbank, ready for our final kicker to the line in the final kilometer, which will be at 5% gradient. This should offer the yellow jersey maybe to one of these puncher sprinters, maybe even a GC favorite like Pogacar and Vingo. Stage two will continue our hilly theme. It's almost like a San Sebastian classic in real life as we return to that city that we always come to in August time. Uh, this time it's a little bit easier with uh, fewer hills, but there is still the nasty Jaiskabel, which is eight kilometers at an average of 5% gradient. This also comes with a bonus second sprint at the summit before a sort of flattish uh, arrival to the finishing line, which could maybe facilitate more of an open sprint finish to stage two. Stage three, while well, everything calms down a little bit as we leave the Basque country and head into France with a sprint finish along the beautiful French coastline to Bayonne. Stage four, however, will continue our sprinting theme to Nogaro, which is a racing motorsport circuit uh, where we'll see our second sprint finale of this race. However, the sprinting theme ends very quickly because we then head into the Pyrenees, yes, as early as stage five, 
with the stage from Po to La Reims, which might as well be a Slovenian exclave at this point, given Roglic and Pogacar's reign over this town over the past five years. We have some familiar names on this stage, including the Soudé climb, as well as the Côte de Marie Blanc, which finished, which featured in the 2020 Tour de France stage that was won by Tadej Pogacar in the town of La Reims. The final 30 kilometers or so of this stage is pretty much a repeat of that 2020 stage that saw Pogacar take his first ever Tour de France stage. Stage 6 the next day will continue our Pyrenean theme from Tarbes to Cotteret. It's a big Pyrenean day with familiar names such as the Col du Aspin and the Col du Tourmalet, which we all know very, very well. Before the Cotteret finish, it's not the toughest climb in the Pyrenees. We are only on stage 6, let's remember. It's a 16 kilometer long climb at 5% average gradient. This might not bring out our first Pogaccio Vingogo head to head, but it could certainly distill some of our GC favorites from the others. Leaving the Pyrenees on stage seven, we have a pancake flat day as we head into Wine City, Bordeaux. The city makes its return to the Tour de France for the first time in a long, long time. Last time we were here, it was Mark Cavendish who took the stage win, and he'll be looking to do the same here on stage seven. Stage eight continues the sprinting theme with a false flat finish to Limoges. This is where Marcel Kittel took a photo finish against Brian Cocard back at the 2016 Tour de France. This is perfect for the likes of Binium Gourmet and Wout Van Aert. Stage nine, however, closes the first week of racing with some mountains. As we head up to the mythical Puy de Dame climb, the Massif Central makes its return to the Tour de France, and this Puy de Dome, I mean, it's famous for its battles of past, and it's been newly paved over the past couple of months in preparation for the Tour de France, with its 13-kilometer-long ascent at an average of 7.7% gradient. But don't let that fool you. The final four kilometers of the climb are double-digits average gradient on, once again, newly paved roads. It's going to be a tough one and a beautiful closer to our first week of racing. Week two will begin at quote, an educational amusement park called Volcania, before we head on to what can only be a hilly intermediate, accidenté as the French would call it, kind of stage, to Issoir. I have no idea how this will end up, but it's going to be beautiful with some scenery around this part of the world. The next stage will take the riders from Clermont-Ferrand to Moulin. This is going to be a paying-by-numbers sprint stage as we head into the Beaujolais region for stage 12, which will begin in Rouen and finish in Belleville-en-Beaujolais, a region known for its red wine, not quite Beaujolais Nouveau season, that comes in November time, but this should be a banging stage with a number of sort of steep, sharp hills. This looks like one of the Rhone Valley classics we usually get in February, maybe even an Ardennes classic that we would get on the agenda in the springtime. Nevertheless, stage 13, which will actually take place on France's national holiday, 14 juillet, Bastille Day to English speakers, will take the riders from a village just 50 kilometers north of Lyon all the way to the Grand Colombier, the Pyramid of the Bougie, one of the most beautiful climbs that you can possibly find in France. It's 17 kilometers long ascent at 7% average gradient. Will be a nasty, nasty way to celebrate Bastille Day here. And remember, the last time we were at the Grand Colombier, it was Tadej Pogacar who tamed this mythical mountain of the Bougie just outside the Alps. And on stage 14, we enter the Alps from a stage from Animas, hometown of the Palais Peintre brothers, going to Morzine with a downhill finish off the Col de Juplan. Stage 15 will close out week two with a mountainous stage through the Alps once again, from Léger to Saint-Gervais-Mont-Blanc. This is a tough, relentless stage with a nasty, nasty final 50 kilometers of racing with a two-step climb towards the end that will finish in Saint-Gervais-Mont-Blanc. We've 
visited there in the past at the Tour de France and at the Dauphiné, and it has been punishing on both occasions. After rest day, we will actually take on our only individual time trial of this race. I'm sure you've been waiting for me to say that. 22 kilometers of racing from Passy to Combleu. It's a rolling time trial, not much flat land. The final five kilometers, in fact, will be at a slight uphill. So this will favor sort of more open racing. So the likes of Landor or so forth won't have to hesitate too much about this time trial. But the, the climbing continues under stage 19, where we have probably the hardest stage of this year's Tour de France. From Saint-Gervais-Mont-Blanc up to Cauchevel, this stage includes the Comme de Roseland, a Category 1 climb, but most notably the highest point in this year's Tour de France, the Col de la Loz, which will be the final climb of this stage. It is a difficult and long climb, 28 kilometers in length, and at a 6% average gradient. But once again, don't let that fool you. The final part of this climb is at 10% on a bike lane that's, I mean, 2,000 meters above sea level. It is a very unique climb. We came here in 2020 on the COVID Tour de France when Superman Lopez took that monumental stage win there. After cresting the Col de la Lance, which is at 2,300 meters above sea level, we then have a very, very quick dash down to one of the fanciest ski resorts you can find on planet Earth at Courchevel. Nevertheless, after our Alpine adventure, we then sort of move up the spine of France to Bourg-en-Bresse, then with stage 19, which is a rolling stage before stage 20, the final road stage of this year's Tour de France. This is the first time a Tour de France has finished with a road stage, competitive road stage since the COVID break. And this year it comes in the Vosges once again from Belfort to the Markstein. This stage is relentless, only 133 kilometers long in length and is a real exploration of many of these difficult climbs that these riders won't know very well. We're not going up La Planche de Belfi, we're going up the Ballon d'Alsace, the Petit Ballon, and finally the Platz of Arsel, which comes before five kilometers of flats towards the end. There was a stage very similar to this at last year's Tour de France Femme avec Zwift, which was won by the overall winner of that race, Annemiek van Vleuten. This year, this will end our competitive phase of the Tour de France before we move ourselves towards Paris when we once again hit the Champs-Élysées for that iconic finale 2023 Tour de France. Breathe. In total, this means our Tour de France includes eight flat stages, which should end in sprints, four hilly stages, eight mountain stages, four of which are summit finishes, and only one individual time trial, which is 22 kilometers long. This is the Tour de France with the fewest amount of time trial kilometers I can recall in my lifetime. It opens things up. It's a very unique Tour de France route. We cover so many French mountain ranges, and it promises to be a banger, a humdinger of a Tour de France. Yeah, certainly is going to be very interesting. But uh, I mean, you and we're going to talk about the favorites. Obviously, we're going to start with Jomba Visma. We've discussed Jonas Vingor so much over on the Cycling Day and Extra channel on the Echelon Cycling channel as well, or Cycling Podcast. So, I mean, it's not exactly like we've we've been uh, quiet about this, but Jonas Vingor, we know he's won the Criterium to open a huge gap, like over 30 years since we've seen that massive gap. There hasn't been any Danish... Criterium Dauphiné winner and Tour de France winner as of yet. What do you feel about his chances? The team's changed. There's no Roglic in here either. Wilco Kelderman looked very strong towards the end of the Tour de Suisse. So you think Jonas Vingor could potentially be the first Danish back-to-back -back winner here? Well, it's certainly possible. Um, Jonas Vingor has been looking brilliant this season, where last year we had question marks over whether he was a winner or not. I mean, that debate's now out of the water. He started four 
stage races this year, three of which he's won, two of which are at the UCI World Tour level, including a dominant, dominant performance at the Criterion du Dauphiné, which I think showed just how sort of all-round he's become, where I think I placed a little bit of worry and anxiety about his sort of elite attributes, particularly in comparison to Tadej Pogacar. At the Dauphiné, those are kind of expelled almost with his stage win that he took out of the blue early into the race. And then with his dominance performance at La Bastille in Grenoble there with the steep kicker towards the end, I think he showed a real all-round performance in Dauphiné, a performance worthy of another Tour de France victory. As a whole this year, he has been looking on fire, but when he's clashed with Pogacar at Paris-Nice, that raised questions, especially just after his performance at Gran Camino that came, and only a month before he decimated the field in the Basque Country. That does sort of raise question marks of whether Vingegaard can really clash against Pogacar. We haven't seen much of it this year, but when he did at Paris-Nice, even on that mountain stages, it looked like he was just missing the mark a little bit there, particularly when Pogacar was flying, but you have to bear in mind that Pogacar was also targeting spring classics this year, so his form was probably higher than Vingegaard's sort of trajectory of fitness. Looking at Jumbo Visma's squad here, this is, um, it's pretty much a copy-paste from last year. Um, you, you throw in Wilco Kelderman instead of Roglic, and it's a very, very similar start list to last year, and it worked last year, and you would probably think on paper it could work again this year. It's got lots of firepower in the mountains as well, with uh, Sepp Kuss making his sort of returned to the Tour de France after um, riding the Giro a couple months back. Where's his fitness at? We don't quite know, but he's usually incredibly reliable on the mountains. I'm very excited to see what Wilco Kelderman will bring, especially after his barnstorming Giro last year on behalf of Jai Hindley. And they've got plenty of rulers who can climb very well, like Tishbenot, even Christophe Laporte, and how can we forget Wout van Aert, who said that he's not chasing the green jersey this year, which does open him up potentially to be there in the mountains to try to crack Pogacar this year, especially when UAE are raising their bar. Jumbo Visma are going to have to try something a little bit different. Well, you can't say Jonas Vingor without seeing Tad Pogacar, that incredible battle that we saw last year. And I think, yeah, as you said, the Paris-Nice kind of threw up some question marks, but Jonas Vingor didn't seem too worried about it. He, well, we've seen what he's done since. And then, obviously, Pogacar's crash as well. But nevertheless, Pogacar, we, well, on the day of recording, he's decimated a very poor Slovenian field in the national time trial. But we can't really draw anything from that, other than, apparently, he put three minutes into his old time when he beat Roglic on the same course. So, I mean, he's not exactly slow right now. Yeah, and with the strength, well, the added depth that got in the Mountains team as well with Adam Yates. So, Ewan, you've been very vocal about UAE team Emirates being probably the strongest team, the strongest version of their team, certainly, and they could potentially overpower Jombo Visma. So, do you think they are the team that are going to be taking up the responsibility and could Tad Bogacar potentially get his third title here? 100%. I think this is a really really strong team i think uae are bringing such depth in the mountains here which maybe yumbo visma are missing with the sort of kelderman curse strategy they're missing something here whereas uae brings sort of i mean it's it's really a star-studded lineup with adam yates rafael micah mark soler felix goldschartner who've all looked good this year on their own and are all maybe probably better climbers than the likes of tish maybe even um they're uh, I'm not going to say Kusin Kelderman, but, but but they're all incredibly strong climbers who've oh. had their chances in the past. And to back up their superstar Pogacar, they're all hands on deck, let's not forget. Adam Yates was speaking earlier on this year saying, yeah, I'm 
all here for Pogaccio when it comes to July. I'm here for my own interests here in Paris, but I'm on board with the Pogaccio project later on. I think that's motivated the squad. They've been in Italy at a sort of team camp recently as well, preparing for this year's Tour de France. And once we get to these sort of difficult mountain stages, UAE could really come into their own. We saw sort of a little preview of that last year at La Planche des Belfis before UAE's team was sort of decimated by COVID and injuries at last year's Tour de France. And we've seen it this year, even at Paris-Nice. So I think this year, it's going to be a huge step up for UAE. And I mean, in terms of Pogaccia, there's no route that wouldn't favor him. If he's back in full fitness after that crash at Liege-Bastogne-Liege, and we believe he is. His teammates are saying he's good. He's riding without a wrist brace. But I just think this UAE squad is just going to flip the script in the final week of racing. They've got such manpower. The one thing that does slightly worry me is that, like, Adam Yates has not really ridden in this role before. Uh, Ineos, he was kind of co-leader on a number of occasions at last year's Tour de France, then at the Vuelta in 2021, and it was a bit chaotic. But given that he's been so vocal about being on board with, with the squad, and he's actually helped Almeida and so forth earlier in the season, I would suggest he is going to be there, and he'll be a vital link to breaking Jonas Vingo potentially in the final week of racing at this year's Tour de France. I mean, that third spot is kind of what we're going to be discussing now. Last year went to Geraint Thomas, the year before Richard Carapaz. Thomas is not here. Carapaz is with EF Education Easy Post, but he didn't look great. Well, he looked great for about 20 seconds at the Dauphiné and then kind of unfortunately went backwards. But I kind of want to talk about Ineos, but they don't have the kind of, well, Danny Martinez, we've looked towards that, Egan Bernal, etc. Blah, 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 blah. But um, Jide Hindley, he's kind of looked quite interesting. We we know he's a Giro d'Italia champion. We know he's been... 2020, he was in the Giro second place where he was arguably working for Wilco Kilderman. So, I mean, is this the Australian that we should look towards? And yes, there are two more... Well, one more Australian that could potentially be feature here. Well, exactly that. Jai Hindley is quickly emerging as the quick protagonist for third place on that podium. And this will be a fascinating battle between so many big general classification riders. At the moment, Hindley's really looking like a legitimate candidate for this. He's a great Grand Tour rider. We know how he ages into a Grand Tour like Fine Wine. We saw it at the 2020 Giro, then at last year's Giro in which he won. And I'm really excited to see what he can bring at this year's Tour de France. He's a guy that struggled actually at sort of one week long stage races over the past couple of years. Haven't quite seen the top tier results, but this fourth place at Dauphiné that he just got is actually his best UCI World Tour stage race result since the COVID break, which does point towards good things for Jai Hindley. Even before his Giro win, he was uh, performing on a poorer level than right now. So it looks like it's uh, it's an upward trajectory here. He's also got Enrico Gasparotto on the squad in terms of the staff members. He was there at last year's Giro. Emil Buchmann is going to be here. He was on that Giro squad. Emil's a great climber. He's probably going to have to leave his own ambitions at the door to help Hindley once again in a GC fight. The one thing that does make me sort of worry is the fact that Bora are not backing up Hindley with climber after climber. It's a bit of a mixed team with a lot of rulers. They announced their team this morning, in fact, and we're seeing the likes of Nils Pollitt there, Dan Even Pop, Paul, Marco Haller. It's a great sprint train, but they have a real opportunity to get a bronze medal here at this year's Tour de France. Maybe Hindley can go, go at it on his own in the mountains. He's a 
He's a really intelligent rider in terms of his own tactics. And he's probably got a sixth sense about what's going to go on with UAE and Yimba Visma. And maybe with those super teams, do you even need to send a fully fledged mountain team? Because they're just going to control everything. But for me right now, Bora Hanskura and Jai Hindley, I'm starting to believe in this. An Australian once again on the podium. Of course, referring to maybe Cato Evans or Richie Port. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking of Richie Port when he finished behind the Yumba Visma UAE double act in 2020. I mean, we're still waiting for you to eat your hat. But uh, that aside, uh, Ineos Grandis team, one of the most successful teams that we've had in the Tour de France since their inception. Wiggins, Garen Thomas, Egon Bernal, etc., etc. And uh, yeah, how do you see them going this year? Not really been hitting the mark as we're used to, but... Do you think they're going to be the third team once again? Well, that one is definitely up for debate. It's a fierce fight for that third place. But at the moment, I don't think Ineos are in pole position for it. They're trying to sell Egan Bernal, but I am not buying it. There's been press releases and interviews, sort of vox pops and pull quotes, saying that Egan Bernal is grand tour ready and Tour de France fit. Where is the evidence thereof? Uh, looking at his results this year, it... it Yes, a couple of low ranks in top 10 at well, Romandy, then outside top 10 at the Dauphiné. He's just been missing the mark, to be honest. And seeing him coming into this Tour de France a favorite, I think, is completely delusional. Yes, he's won this race before, but so has Chris Froome, and he hasn't even made the start list of this year's Tour de France. Looking elsewhere at the team, and I think there's much to be desired here. Carlos Rodriguez. Yes, he was close to getting the podium at last year's Buelta, but there's a huge difference here at the Tour de France uh, and his results this year. I know he had a crash and spent a lot of time out, but still ninth place at Dauphiné, mm, not quite showing science there. And Danny Martinez hasn't finished in the top five of a UCI World Tour stage race since last spring in 2022. So I'm finding it hard to really believe that Ineos will be on that final podium in Paris for the third year in a row. Instead, what I think could be their saving grace, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is Tom Pidcock of the United Kingdom. I think for him, stage hunting and trying to get the yellow jersey potentially on that stage into La Reince. Getting the yellow jersey for five days could be a sort of saving grace for the squad. Remember, Ineos Grenadiers haven't worn the yellow jersey since the COVID break in 2020. So that would be a huge sort of reward for them and would also alleviate the pressure from both Jumbo Visma and UAE team Emirates going into the rest of the first speak of racing at this year's Tour de France but the podium I believe is simply a bridge too far yeah we even spoke about potentially he could go for the polka dot jersey which would be quite a interesting one he seems like certainly the rider that could do that but yeah it's Dan Martinez hasn't lit anyone's fire really Algarve victory early on but we know that fifth place as well with Egan Bernal but a very different field do you think maybe they're going to try and go for the team classification because that's normally what we've seen movie star do when they haven't quite had the big hitters but anyway speaking about Ineos Grandiers or one of their previous riders shall we say Richard Carapaz there was so much hype with him joining EF Education Easy Post and Ewan it hasn't really been the fairy tale story that we would have hoped as well we like Carapaz we like EF but it hasn't really clicked as we'd hoped yeah this uh, this big transfer, he's won the Ecuadorian Championships, he won the Mercantile Classic, but elsewhere, it's been hard to see a standout Carapaz performance this year. 36th at the Dauphiné, 51st in Catalonia, he was in the 30s in Basque Country before pulling out there. Every year he's kind of, he's gone into a Grand Tour since the COVID break, he's at least had 
uh, a world tour win, whether it be a stage winner and overall before getting that podium at the grand tour this year, we have not come anywhere near that. Yes. He was close to winning that stage in the Dauphiné where Alaphilippe sprinted, but he's not going to win a tour de France by winning hilly sprints. Is he, he needs to be up there in the mountains and fighting for this. Carapaz though is a guy who's so grand tour seasoned a bit like, as we said with Hindley and so forth, where these kind of guys can jump into a grand tour and probably find their legs there. He's got a strong team around him, but aren't EF really 100% ready to sort of pilot a third place at this year's Tour de France? I'm not quite so sure. However, with the forces of UAE and Yumbo Visma, will a will full team support be necessary for that podium fight? We don't quite know. And just Carapaz, we just missing that flair, that attacking spirit that we, we're usually seeing. I think that's what's making this quite an undesirable pick for the podium, despite him being one of the most reliable Grand Tour podium finishers in the modern era. Remember, he's finished on a Grand Tour podium every season since 2019. No other rider in the pro peloton has that record. Yeah, it is a big shame. And I mean, well... If you've listened to the Voctus interview, he was so excited about this project as well. And yeah, it's just, it's a shame. We really wanted to see EF, the underdogs, being in the fight for a podium, but it looks like it might not be the case. Anyways, you and moving towards the French riders. And uh, obviously, we're still awaiting a French rider to win since Bernard Renault. And uh, yeah, where, where are you kind of looking towards here? David Goudou, we were talking him up in Paris-Nice, then haven't really seen the same kind of form in Dauphiné. Omar Berdier, always a fan favorite, and Pino coming back here as well. But yeah, where do you think we're potentially going to be looking for the best French rider here? Between Bardet and Goudou, I believe. Goudou, beginning with him poor Dauphiné but he was brilliant to Paris-Nice uh, haven't quite seen that much of him elsewhere in the calendar but with that one stand-up performance in Paris-Nice it looked very very positive there indeed uh, he's also got his buddy Valentin Madoise riding for him a strong Kevin Genietz and Thibaut Pinot but Pinot does worry me because he's probably going to search out one of those I mean a stage winning narrative where he's hunting for his own glory in his final Tour de France how much of Godou's own sort of teammates will, will be compromised for that but David Goudou is the kind of guy who can, can ride on momentum and if he finds himself inside top five I think he can hang on there throughout the race and with his hilly expertise he's a great uphill sprinter he was up there top three last year in long he's been on the podium of Liege Baston Liege he beat Wout van Aert in an uphill sprint last year at the Dauphiné if Goudou finds himself in top five by the midpoint or the end of week one I think he could stay there until the very end of this year's Tour de France. However, the recent form of the Dauphiné doesn't speak too highly of Godou's chances. Last year, he won a stage of the Dauphiné before finishing fourth in the Tour de France, and he looked better in terms of his form. This year, missing that. Roman Balde has been consistent this year so far. He's been looking good. We're actually coming very close to his hometown, up the Prix de Dome climb. He knows it very well. He was at the ribbon-cutting ceremony for that newly paved road at the top of the mountain, and I'm intrigued to see what he will bring. He's once again another seasoned Grand Tour contender, and you can never look past him. If he finishes this Tour de France, I think he'll probably be somewhere in the top 10. And if we're expanding this conversation to riders on French teams, we've got to factor in Ben O'Connor, who has been fantastic so far in, in 2023 with a podium finish at Dauphiné once again. He was very consistent at, at the Criterium de Dauphiné. Looked good last year as well, and I think he's been really uh, maturing as a team leader and a Grand 
Groundhog contender over the past couple of years since that breakthrough ride at the 2021 Tour de France. With the highly motivated Azure Desert squad, I think the top five could be very realistic for Ben O'Connor of Australia. Yeah, we also have Mikael Lander that we're both fans of, but every time we talk about him, he does poorly. And uh, maybe if we don't mention him too much, he'll do quite well here. Enrique Mass as well. And also Simon Yates. Oh, shoot. Yeah, you're with Simon well, Yates. Yeah, exactly. In, in my notes, I had why no hype underlined with lots of question marks because Yates is coming here and he's the guy who's finished on the podium with the Gira and the Vuelta. And he's got absolutely Winning no the Vuelta. Yeah, he won the Vuelta, but no one's talking about him at this year's Tour de France. That may be because there's no sort of clear indications of form. Scott, how would you rate Yates' chances? For me, I can only see one of two possibilities, a top five or maybe backing a couple of stage wins. I think you've hit the the nail on the head there. Well, even maybe a polka dot jersey stint. It's it's kind of like he's had his GC time. We when they are when they came from the Tour de l'Avenir, there was so much hype. It was like these two are gonna win it. Well, Adam Yates and Simon, but they've kind of just fizzled into the background, unfortunately, with the emergence of Tadubiacha, Roglic, Vingegaard. Remco, and it's a bit of a shame. It's kind of these guys, some of the best climbers in in the world on that day, but I just don't feel like Simon Yates is going to be winning this year's Tour de France. I'd love that to be wrong, but yeah. Agreed. But anyways, uh, in terms of switching our focus to the green jersey, and obviously last year we had that incredible performance by Wout Van Aert, not just winning it in the Tour de France, but also winning it in Paris and Dauphiné, which is an incredible achievement. But Ewan, this year, Wout Van Aert is still here. We know he's going to be a huge asset to Vingor once again. He was a pivotal role on the Horticam stage and so many other stages as well for Vingor. But uh, yeah, who do you think is going to be challenging Wout? And do you think Wout even is going to go for it, despite him not saying he wanted to go for it? Well, that's the thing. He said he's not going for green. To some extent, I could believe him here. I think there's, there's a lot of flat stages this year, eight in total, um, which would favor a more pure sprinter over Wout Van Aert for that uh, green jersey fight. Remember, there's 50 points on offer for a sprint finish stage win, whereas there's only 30 points on offer for a hilly stage victory. So I think that favors the likes of Philips, Jakobsen, and Hunevejo, who we'll go and talk about. But for Wout, I think definitely winning stages will be within his realm. I think that will probably be the ultimate goal. He comes to, to the Tour de France to win stages and to use it as a canvas to show his strength. I think he'll do that on behalf of both Vingegaard and for himself to back a couple of sprint wins. It could even come on day one with that uphill kicker into Bilbao at the end of the stage. There is also the possibility, this is a personal side to Alvin Art, but he's actually declared himself that he might not even be finishing the Tour de France. He's actually expecting a child at the end of July, beginning of August. So he said in a recent interview that if it happens, he might have to leave the Tour de France. So Going bold and going for green might not be the, the the number one option here. And also with just Pogacar looking ferocious and with UAE looking so, so strong, I think Wout's place in that squad will be more valuable in the mountains, just like it was in 2020 at that Tour de France. I think he's also learned the lessons from their first week in last year's Tour de France. How, uh, yeah, it's a team. It's not just about him. But I, I still think it. It ended well last year. Other than that, we, well, we have we have to mention him. Binyam Gamay, first ever Tour de France. Huge hype on this entry and superstar going to the Tour. We know that he said that a Tour stage is kind of the goal, but we saw him last year wearing that purple jersey before the Pozzecco incident. But do you think in any 
Is there any possibility other than a stage win? Or is a green jersey potentially something they could try and carve out? They've never never won it in Tomoshe as well. A, a stage win would definitely be their big goal. It could even come on stage one with the uphill kicker, a little bit like Visegrad. Our last year's Giro where Biniam Grimai finished in second place. Looking deeper into this Tour de France, there's a brilliant opportunity in Limoges as well, and that could really light his fire. Even later on with the stage into the Beaujolais stage, the stage into Issoire, these kind of hillier stages that could wipe out uh, your Jasper Philipsers, maybe your your Fabio Jakobsers from, from the peloton that could bring forward Biniam Grimai to really sprint for things. I think a green jersey will, it's a little bit, out of touch at the moment. It's his debut Tour de France. I don't quite think he is completely all around there enough to be there. Where a 2012 Sagan, if we're if we're drawing comparisons here, he was sprinting with the best on the flat stages. He even won a flat sprint against likes of Andre Greipel and Mark Cavendish on that year's Tour de France. I don't quite think we're going to see the same here with Benjamin Grimai, where he's getting second places, third places, whilst Hunebeke, Jakobsen, Philips are sprinting out for the victory. But a Helia sort of more attritional sprint stage could definitely be within his grasp. With the green jersey, I mean, you never know what could happen. Michael Matthews knows that very well. All it takes is for a couple of riders to maybe get eliminated, crash out someone to pull out remember the world championship so not too long after this tour de france you never quite know so being up there in the fight will be important and maybe the stars will align for Binim Gramai to get that green jersey but for now i'm seeing a sort of maybe five to ten percent possibility yeah i think you're completely fair and it's his first ever tour let's let's not forget that he's never finished the grand tour because of that incident last year as well so there's so many factors against him but if he just wins a stage i mean country of Eritrea. I mean, everyone's going to be happy about that as well. But I mean, Ewan, looking towards other riders, Jasper Philipsen coming here with Macho van der Poel. Well, Macho van der Poel is going to be here. What he's going to do, we've spoken about that on the Echelon Cycling Podcast. But yeah, Jasper Philipsen, do you think he is the main contender if we take Wout out of the picture here? I think he is, to be honest. Uh, Jasper Philipsen is one of the most consistent sprinters in this peloton on a flat stage, on a sort of more hillier profile. He's hardier than the likes of Hunebeke and Jakobsen. And we saw that last year at the Tour de France, that stage into Carcassonne, for instance. Philipson was there, but he could also win on the Champs-Élysées stage and bag a number of top threes in the flat sprints throughout that Tour de France. If Wout is not doing a sort of Wout spectacular here in the breakaways and so forth, trying to get all these green jersey points, then I think Jasper Philipson has to be the number one favourite and he could win two, maybe three stages of this year's Tour de France. With a strong lead out from Jonas Rekerton as well as uh, Mathieu van der Poel as well, this could be a ferocious lead out train that could really pave a green brick road for Jasper Philipsa to get Alperson to Koenig's first ever points classification at a Grand Tour. I mean, we have uh, the pair that are forever going to be united by that horrific crash. Dylan Hoenwegen and Fabio Jakobsen, both of them taking stages last year in Denmark, incidentally. Fabio Jakobsen, you and do you think he's going to try and go for a green jersey? They have such a rich history, Sudal Quickstep, of winning the green jersey from Boonen to, to Mark Cavendish to Sam Bennett, etc. But they're not bringing Remco Venepoel, which we've spoken about so much. But is this a clear line now for the Fabio Jakobsen project with the eight stages available? Yeah, it, it is. Jakobsen's a great sprinter. 
probably one of the best in the world right now, put him on the back of Mirko and Seneschal's wheel and he should be winning the stage. Uh, in that European Champions jersey as well, it would be a nice little victory. We haven't seen the European Champion win since 2019 on the roads of the Tour de France, so it'll be interesting to see that one. There is no doubt in my mind that he will win a stage, probably multiple stages of this Tour de France. Um, he's never left a Grand Tour without a stage win and he's been to three in the past. And I mean, this is Soudal Quickstep. It's what they come to the Tour de France to do. Soudal as a collective haven't left the Tour de France without a sprint stage victory since 2013. So, and Jakobsen, there's no reason for me to not believe he will get one. Maybe a Bayonne or, or Nogaro on stages three and four to get that ball rolling very early on. We're not going to talk about Mark Cavendish. He's won the green jersey twice, but we don't really think the result really justify him winning it. Well, we, we said the same thing in 2021 and he went to win the green jersey in four stages. So maybe if we don't mention him, he'll do that. I mean, nevertheless, you and coming to our favorite part of the show the predictions and uh, i mean we'll leave the top three to the last part because that's the big thing white jersey who do you think is going to win the white jersey it's a rite of passage he's been in the white jersey since the middle of the 2020 tour de france and no one has taken it off him since and i think that will continue Tade pogacar wins the white jersey and breaks the record yeah exactly i was gonna say that as well yeah, I think Tarbogacha as well. Uh, what about the... Um, I'm going to say green jersey first because I put more more, <laughs> more on, on the polka dot. I am all hands on deck for the Jasper Phillips the green jersey experience. I think he will get it for Alpes and Koenig. My heart really does say Binyam Gamay, but uh, yeah, on this occasion, I'm going to go for what we're not. We'll, we'll see if he actually stays on the tour. And you and the polka dot jersey, where do you think that's going to go? One of the, well, yeah, it's been a bit predictable in the last few years. Well, since the COVID break, every Tour de France's polka dot jersey has been won by the overall winner. I think that trend will continue. Spoiler alert, I think Tade Pogacar will win the polka dots. I think yeah, another hat trick of victories, I think, yeah. or Jersey victories. But I'm going to say, oh, uh, yeah, I think it would be very romantic. So I'm going to say Thibaut Pino in his last ever Tour de France wins the Polkada Jersey. And uh, now we come to your podium of this year's Tour de France. Okay, my podium for the 2023 Tour de France is as follows. In third place, I believe Bora Hansgrohe's Jai Hindley will take the bronze medal at the Grand Boucle. In second place, it will be the reigning champion, Jonas Vingegaard of Denmark and Jambo Visma. And the victory will go to Tadej Pogacar of Slovenia and UAE Team Emirates. I think they're going to flip the script in that final week of racing and Pogacar is going to be back fighting here. There are question marks over his form, but I think if, if he's feeling good enough to race here, he will race. And boy, oh boy, he will... He will age into this Tour de France like fine wine. Well, you did the sensible one. And uh, Jonas Vingo won last year when I picked, predicted Pogaccia. So I'm going to go for the same philosophy here. But I'm not going to pick Tad because it's too easy. Uh, Tad is going to finish in third place. Second place is going to be... Well, I'm not putting Jonas Vingo on my podium. Adam, well, no. Wilco Kelderman in second place. And the winner, the first French winner since Bernard, uh, Bernard Hinault, 
Roman Bardet is going to win this year's Tour de France. Don't worry, it's not going to happen. Please, Roman, prove me wrong. Well, prove me right, actually. But nevertheless, coming to our podium. And no, not a podium. Bonus round. But yeah. <laughs> but anyways, let's have a bonus round as well. And this year, it's going to be who's going to be winning the most stages at this year's Tour de France. I'm going to sound like a broken record because I'm going to go for probably the, the safest pick out there. I miss the days when I used to go for the outlandish picks. I'm going to say Tadej Pogacar. He's never left a Tour de France with fewer than three stages. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go for Macho van der Poel, and it's going to be a career high. Well, we don't have to say how many stages they're winning, but I'm going to say six stages. Why not? Merckx. Merckxian effort from Mathieu van der Poel. Can't wait to see him win at the top of the Grand Colombier, then win the time trial a couple of days later. And then the Col de la Loz, probably, and uh, Champs-Élysées. <laughs> but anyways, that's it for our preview show here of the Tour de France 2023. Make sure to comment down below what you think is going to happen in terms of the Tour de France. Hit the like button, subscribe to the channel. We've got loads of content. And if you want to support us that bit extra, we've got our members as well, the channel members. And we've got a lot of lucrative prizes coming up, including a card signed by none other than Tom Pickock himself. So all those things are up for grabs throughout the tour. And of course, as always, we'll be live on the live streams, et cetera, et cetera. So lots of good content coming out on all the various channels. So with that, thank you very much for watching. And of course, as always, have a nice day.